welcome to episode 180 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia is Ben Olson. Ben, did you ever think we'd make it to 180 episodes? I don't think that I did at, at one point. I certainly thought that this would be over with a clover. But, <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> what did you say? Uh, it's just it's something I say all the time because it rhymes, but no one ever says it. <laughs> it's just a like a family uh, thing, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, but over with a clover. Yeah. So does this mean that we're done? I mean, we hit 180. <laughs> yeah. Once you get to 180, you really should be basically done. But uh, yeah, we're the type of people who, well, yeah, get high 170s and then keep doing it for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this kind of reminds me, have you gotten emails like throughout your time in this f- field of people talking about getting scores higher than 180? <laughs> um, no. Okay, I, th- I I feel like I have on, on more than one occasion. Like, you know, someone like, oh, I'm definitely trying to get 190 or something like that. It's like, hmm. <laughs> okay. Like, we, we <laughs> That's funny. Like, if you say that you want a 180... At least you know the score range, but even then it's kind of like, mm, do you realize the challenge that you're up against, right? Now, if they come back and say, I've been scoring in the 170s, then... Then I say, yeah, why not? We'll shoot for 180. Why not? But people okay. starting out, it's hilarious when people are like, I will not give up until I get a 180. <laughs> I'm like, well, good luck with that, because <laughs> some people, you know, you could spend the rest of your life and potentially not get to 180. It's, uh, yeah, there's, there are limits like cognitively, uh, there are limits, but, um, yeah. So I always just say to people, well, where are you now? <laughs> and then I, when they say 150, I go, okay, well, let's talk about getting you to 155. Yeah. <laughs> and then we can talk about 160, but like, <laughs> yeah, the pie in the sky idea of 180, it's just, uh, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is if people are actually are scoring in the 170s, they seem to be much more open to this notion that scores are going to bounce around and they don't say things like, I, I need to get a 180. They just say, hey, yeah, I'll be happy with anything up here. I'm just hoping for the best in this range. Yeah, which that's what you should be thinking anyway, right? You should accept yeah. that there's going to be a little bit of variability around your score and you know you should just roll with it. Like Everybody's going to have a plus or minus four points or something and so that can make it look like you're horribly inconsistent when you score 162 one day and 168 the next day and then 162 the next day it's like whoa what's going on but it's like well the reality is you're a 165 plus or minus three and you know so that's no big deal like those are just normal variation within a very normal range (laughs) I, i know we're going on a tangent here but did i ever tell you about my first day in lsat class with the LSAT score. Let me just give the teaser and then we're going to, we'll, we'll go back to that story. Oh, okay. okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause I want to talk about um, board games too. So <laughs> um, <laughs> let's, let's uh, talk about what we're going to talk about. Uh, and then we'll talk about something else and then we'll come back mm. and talk about what we're saying we're going to talk about. Which and then is, we'll summarize what we talked about. <laughs> yeah. So we have a, an LSAT fundamental. Uh, we're going to do an introduction to question types. We're going to talk about the on logical reasoning. We're going to talk about why question types are important. And we're going to begin talking, uh, breaking it down into two families of question types. 
We have a report from a student. This is very interesting, Ben. A school has uh, told an applicant that they would not only waive the um, application fee for that school, but also offered to waive the Credential Assembly Service report fee for the student. Hmm. Okay, great. It's about time. (laughs) Yeah, that's really exciting news because that could save people hundreds or even into the low thousands of dollars, depending on how many schools you're going to apply to. If uh, other- how, how much is the fee? Again? $45 per, per school. school. Wow. For some reason, I had $10 in my head. I don't know where I got that number. Yeah. From, but hey. $45. Yeah. Mm. Okay. We have an update from a student of mine who sent in a uh, very interesting practice test score graph. We'll talk about um, the results of that student. I think they can, mm-hmm. are, might be a model for people to follow. We have an update from a user in our personal statement review service uh, who got a very exciting full-ride scholarship that we're very happy about. That's what really does it for me, Ben. I don't know about you. I love teaching, but the thing I really love, the thing that's really satisfying in my career is when people get back to me and say, oh my God, I got a full ride. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, you saw that email, right? From I saw uh, that from Trevor, I sent you. I forwarded it to you. Trevor, no. who came to our live class in Chicago, yeah, who um, improved from a one fifty. I want to get the numbers right. He improved from a, I think, to a one sixty eight. Yeah, so it was from a one forty nine to a one sixty eight. Oh wow! Wow! And okay, he said he got. And almost full ride to a school that he thought he couldn't even get into when he first started preparing. He was like not even <laughs> on his radar, and he ended up getting an almost full scholarship oh, with, that's a, awesome. with a 19 point uh, LSAT improvement. Yeah, he was trying to exciting. give us all the credit, and I was like, "No, dude, you did the work. Like you busted your ass. <laughs> we told you what to do, but you did it. Yeah, and yeah. and when you did it, you know that's you changed your life. So anyway, um, we also have. A question from LSAT India. Hey, while we're talking about the live classes, that live class in Chicago was super fun. We've got another one coming up. Mm. When this airs, you'll have just a couple days left to sign up for the discounted price for Vegas. We decided to extend the discount pricing because scores were coming out. Uh, we have gotten already a bunch of signups, but people were some people were on the fence about, hey, I want to see my score from the January LSAT before signing up, and I really want that discount. It makes a difference to me. Will you extend it? And we're just too nice for our own good, Ben. So we extended the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> or at least we think we are. <laughs> so please sign up for that uh, Vegas class if you uh, want the $100 off uh, early bird discount. Go to thinkinglset.com to sign up for that Vegas class. Join us in Vegas. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But let's hear about your first day. What was it your first day of LSAT class? Yeah, I think it was the first day. Of teaching? Hmm? No, no, this was... Me taking it. Oh, class. when you took a class. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I was, uh, uh, I was in an elementary school classroom. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. I sat near the back. Uh, that was pretty typical of me. And for some reason, this may not have been the first day, but I do feel like it was very early on. Someone asked my instructor, who was uh, Brent Dunn, a very funny guy. Anyways, he they said, you know, oh, like... What score did you get on the LSAT? Did you go to law school? Those sort of questions. It must have been during the break or something. And he goes, oh, I got a 178. And I I sat there, and I don't know 
you know, this is just talking about <laughs> people who have these goals to get 180 at the very beginning of their prep and they have no idea what they're talking about. I remember I, I was sitting there and I, I have this vision that I was, my arms were folded, you know, a little defensively. And I think I thought to myself like, well, I know I thought this to myself. I thought first, why, why did this teacher get two points wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, ridiculous because you can get two points wrong and still get a 180. So I had no idea what I was talking about. And and I also thought, like, how, how can he be teaching this class? It's just, like, <laughs> so ridiculous, you know? But I I still liked him a lot and his what he was teaching. So I, I clearly stuck with the class, and it was very helpful for me. One thing I didn't realize is that he, like, now looking back at it, is that he, he was very much a, an intuitive teacher as well, like to our test taker slash teacher, yeah. you know, he focused a lot on just trying to understand in, in large part. I know that because when I started teaching myself and people were asking all the typical dogma stuff, like, Oh, like what about this question type? And what about that question type? I, I was kind of like a deer in the headlights. Well, I, I'm not really sure about that question type, but I can tell you how to answer this question. And, um, of course, we've all figured that out since then, but um, it's kind of like full circle, right? You go through the, the the mud and you come out and you say, wait a sec, that's important, but what's most important is trying to understand this intuitively. Yeah, if you're a really, really good reader, right? If you're very strong in English, if you're very patient, and if you're just a normal, common sense, logical thinker, mm -hmm. if you just read all the words on the page you can answer the questions just without knowing anything about the dogma of the LSAT. Yeah. You, you totally can. It's just that when you know a little bit about question types, you then get, you have some shortcuts, you know, not like mm -hmm. gimmicky tips and tricks type of thing, but just kind of like you, you start to see a little bit inside the test maker's head where yeah, oh, really I know what they're trying to do here. Yeah. Well, you can see it from both angles, right? You can see it from like why it intuitively makes sense, but also why it's analytically got to be the answer. And and that's really the best position to be in because then you get to the answer quickly through your intuition, but you also know that it's right for specific reasons. Yeah, totally. Hey, um, sorry, is that is is he still doing it? Is he still teaching LSAT? Your guy? I, I had that thought in my head. I think he is actually. So, so. he was just he's like a small private practice yeah. dude. Mm -hmm. And where is he? Yeah. He's in, uh, well, so he's in Provo, Utah, I think. Oh, okay. Um, I'm assuming he's still there, but yeah. Speaking of Utah, I am going to be at the University of Utah on February 21st. So when this airs, you'll have a couple more days to show up to University of Utah in Salt Lake City. I'm giving a talk at 7 o'clock on the... Changes, the conversion to digital and all that um, that's happening at University of Utah. Please RSVP if you're going to come. Love to see everybody. I'm doing um, that same talk on February 25th at Santa Clara University at 7.10 p.m. Again, please RSVP if you're going to show up. What else do we need to talk about? Oh, Facebook Live. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're doing that on, that's also on February 20. So two days after this uh, podcast airs, we will be doing a live 
Facebook class slash talk. We're, we super creatively are calling it Just Do It. <laughs> but it's about motivational strategies. And uh, I think, you know, I actually think we have a decent amount of wisdom to dispense as far as like getting your shit together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like you respond, Ben, you respond to emails very quickly. Like, I know you're not going to drop the ball. <laughs> and I think you know that yes. I'm not going to drop the ball. Yeah. People are surprised that we don't drop the ball. But it's like, well, we just, we've got, we got, <laughs> as fucked up as my life is in a million other ways, I do, you know, take care of the things that are important, <laughs> like critical path, mm -hmm. business-wise. And I think maybe the class is going to be a little, the Facebook Live class is going to be a little bit about that. Yeah. That, getting people on that critical path. Because if y'all are future lawyers... The LSAT is just, <laughs> it's, it's hard to overestimate, uh, overstate how important this test is to you. You, you know, yeah. you could be like Trevor and improve your score by 19 points and get a full ride to a school that you didn't think you could even possibly get into. <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's what happens from LSAT studying. And so the, that class is going to be about getting people on the, uh, on the path. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. I mean, it's, e it's interesting to even say that. I know we've said this a hundred times or more. But it just reminds me that, you know, people write in, they say, hey, <laughs> what can I do in terms of a job before I go to law school? What can I do in terms of my grades? And it's like, yeah, all those things are going to help. But the thing that's going to have the biggest impact, unworldly, right, impact on your score is like the LSAT. Or, I mean, on your chances of getting into school. It's your LSAT score. It just, it's such, it's... It's over. It's overweighted, but whatever. That's the situation. That's the in. game we're playing. I mean, and and for good reason, right? The LSAT isn't a measure of how good you are in English verbal <laughs> things, right? I mean, it's testing your yeah. vocabulary. It's testing how detail oriented yeah. you are, and it's also testing how hard you can work because LSAT prep does pay off. And if you bust your ass, you will be rewarded, and that's what they want in a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So. It, I mean, it kind of makes sense because grades, you know, okay, grades are important too, but grades, then there's like this big amount of subjectivity and how much ass kissing did you do to get those grades and your major is easier than someone else's major and your school is easier than someone else's school. And oh, by the way, your undergraduate, you know, your freshman year was like eight years ago or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to compare those things to each other. But when they have the LSAT score, it's like, well, that's an, one number on the page, real easy for them to look at. Yeah, and um, no, it could literally be worth a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand, two hundred thousand by the time you start factoring in, um, you know, interest costs and that sort of thing, and yeah. stipends and everything else. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a big deal. So that class is going to be um, motivation and tips and strategies for for how to uh, you know get moving and keep keep that momentum. Yeah. Cool. Um, February 20 is also the last day to register for the March LSAT. So uh, if you're thinking about law school in 2020 um, and you're hearing this uh, and you've been prepping a bit, yeah, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of good reasons to take that LSAT in March if you can. Um, it's also one of the last pencil and paper LSATs. So if that's a big deal to you, you want to uh, go ahead and sign up for that. Yep. Cool. Hey. <laughs> Uh, this might be another one of our all tangent shows, but uh, hmm. I do, do your boys um, like to play board games? They do. Yeah. yeah. Their favorite right now is Monopoly. Monopoly. Wow. Yeah. 
There's a current you favorite. You got a bunch of yeah. little capitalists, huh? Ruthlessly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so <laughs> my second is he's he's really good at math and he's really into money. You know, did I tell you about this? this is the kid who watches uh, Shark Tank and no. then <laughs> spits out the valuation of the company before the sharks do? <laughs> oh, wow. You know, because they come in and they say, oh, I want to sell, uh, you know, 10% of my company for a million dollars. And he's like, oh. So that's a $10 million company. That's easy math. But a lot of the math in there is not easy. And he's like spitting it out. And I'm like, hmm, uh, yeah, that sounds, mm, that seems about right. Yeah, okay. Yep. My calculator confirms that. <laughs> this is the valuation of the company. Anyways, he's like, yeah, he's uh, he's down with money. And so he likes Monopoly. And I think the the younger kids have kind of, you know, they like to impress their older brothers or they pick up whatever he likes. So they're kind of following along. So there. does he just smash them into the ground in Monopoly? Uh, yeah, he's, he's also pretty competitive and obsessed with rules. He's, um, yeah, but you know, they're little, so I think he's learning yeah. to like cool it a little bit. So maybe your older two could play this game. I, I don't know. It, it's a very big investment of time, but I just started playing recently and I'm obsessed with this game called Gloomhaven. Whoa. If anybody out there is looking for a really, really great, really long run, um, you have to play it in like multiple. I think it's someone told us like a hundred and something hours, but it's going to be like the way we're going so far, it's going to be closer to like a thousand hours of this what? game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'd like <laughs> no, give me some real numbers. A thousand hours. That's ridiculous. No, I, I'm, I think so because you play it in multiple um, episodes. It's very Dungeons and Dragons Z, except for there's no dungeon master who's making up the story. It's actually all in the cards. And anyway, <laughs> it, it, it's, it was very, there's a lawyerly aspect to figuring out a game that's this complicated. We spent like a half mm. hour last night, just all, all three of us sitting on our phones, like Googling, trying to find interpretations of one particular rule. Like, can this character mm. right here, can this guy hit this square over here? Like, is it like, is that actually in his range? And we, um, I know this sounding like super exciting to the audience, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> this is what we want hey, to do. start a game and then get started. Well, I want to make it clear that this is my lawyer friend, Nikki, who was on one of the mm -hmm. earlier episodes of the show way, way back when I interviewed her, Nikki Black. And she is just 100% in her element when she gets to spend a half an hour like researching to figure out what the right rule is. You know, like it's, it's any set of rules, it's hard to write them perfectly, right? And our system of laws mm -hmm. is clearly not written perfectly. Yeah. And has evolved, and you got all these different overlapping doctrines and stuff, right? And so, in trying to figure out this very complicated rule set in in Gloomhaven, um, yeah, she was just it was she's delighted. <laughs> she she sat there and worked. When I got over to their house, she's work. She works from home, right? So she was literally working until seven thirty p.m. when I showed up. Mm -hmm. And then she came over and sat down and did like the exact same shit <laughs> trying to figure out Gloomhaven. That's just what, that's what she does. She's a machine, you know? So that's huh. a lawyer. Anyway, um, if any listeners are playing uh, Gloomhaven or know what that is, uh, you want to nerd out with me, just hit me up. I'll be very delighted to talk about Gloomhaven. Cool. You can email the show, by the way, help at thinkinglset.com. If you're going to do that, send us a picture. Um, we would appreciate it so that we can post your face to... Uh, all of our social media. Okay. Another, um, just a 
reminder, there's a million ways you can listen to the show. So um, your friends on Android, if they don't know how to listen to the show, uh, you can tell them that we're on Spotify. We are on Stitcher. I think that's a very common way that people listen to podcasts on Android. Um, If you're an Apple person, of course, we're on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen on YouTube, or you can just go to our website, thinkinglset.com, and listen there. So lots of ways you can consume the content. Yeah. I want to start listening on Spotify because I love Spotify. It's so great. And um, I don't know why I'm still using the podcasts app. Spotify just works better. (laughs) But anyway. Yeah. Let's see. I think we covered all these announcements. Do do we want to give a teaser of these things that we're going to talk about in LSAT Live? So people get a sense of what they might get out of it. Sure. Are these? Uh, or, yeah, sure. Okay. So some of the things that we're going to talk about to get you motivated is including how to start small, how to focus on consistency, how not to let the perfect get in the way of the good, to stop planning too much, to stop stasturbating, which we've talked about before. We're going to talk about what it means to just decide that you're going to do something and, um, that mental commitment and what that can do for you. We're going to talk about how to, you should expect to fail, probably. We're going to talk about learning from quality examples and quality study over just doing a ton of stuff. Uh, although doing a ton of stuff is also good, but quality is more important. So things like that. I don't know. Do you want to add anything to this list? I'm sure we will improvise a little bit, as we do, once we get going. But yeah. I think all these are yeah. going to be a really good foundation for people to... Uh, to make the decision that, you know, not, it's not something that you're going to do in the future. This is something that you are doing, right? Now. You're yeah. doing it right Excellent. now. Yeah. Cool. Kind of all over the place, but should we dig into this uh, fundamentals? Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> funny note from... Oh, wait, you were going to give a demon update too, but funny, uh, funny note here from Sarah. She says... <laughs> where LSAT fundamental came from. <laughs> Remember when you thought that was yeah. my joke? Yeah, yeah, that was definitely Sarah's joke. She says, I was typing too fast. I wrote fundamental with the F-U-N capitalized. I went back to fix it. Then I thought, wait, fate has done a great thing. And I left it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then I guess we kind of uh, made, you Completely know, mocked her. her a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> And so then she messaged me on <laughs> Facebook to tell me what was going on there. I said, okay, fair enough. Fate. I'm happy let's, to let's let, blame fate. I'm happy to <laughs> let Sarah take credit for that amazing joke. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, so as we continue, oh, wait, sorry, your demon update. Oh, yeah. So uh, I guess. This is, we have, we have some good news and some, some bad news. The good news is that um, we, just yesterday, we were working on finalizing the full test feature so that people can take full tests on the demon, which includes the games and reading comp sections, obviously, which was not available or has not been available up to this point. I actually just got an email from Max saying that he thinks it's ready to release. And so we are going to be releasing that soon. We probably will do one final check. But by the time you hear this, we're recording this a couple of weeks early, but you will uh, you should have access and be able to take not only games and reading comp sections timed in the Demon, but uh, full tests. The bad news is that we've been having some trouble with cancellations for some reason there's no cancellation button or there is sometimes when you try to cancel your subscription 
clearly we know that you will stop studying for the LSAT at some point in your life <laughs> and want to cancel your subscription, but <laughs> we are not trying to hold you hostage and keep your subscription forever. We're very sorry. We're trying to figure out why this is the case for some users and that will be resolved uh, very quickly. I just, I sent an email to the developers earlier today saying, <laughs> yeah, this is confusing as <laughs> fuck. Uh, so please um, let us solve this. People have reached out to us and we've refunded anyone who was unduly charged. Yeah. But we are sorry about no, that. No, we are, we we're, we're in this for the reason. long run. We are not trying to scam anybody. And uh, you can just send send an email send an email to either of us or help at thinkinglset.com and we will definitely make everything right and refund if you accidentally got charged or couldn't quit or whatever. We're real sorry about that. We were working on other features and um, we thought, well, I mean, we didn't even notice it, right? Until you finally noticed it today. You're like, oh, wait, oh, shit. <laughs> like it's there sometimes, but then, oh no, if you click the wrong thing, then now all of a sudden you can't figure out how to cancel. And that that's just stupid. So <laughs> send us a note if yeah. there's ever anything like that. We will definitely take care of you, but uh, we're also going to fix it systematically so that we don't have to keep <laughs> manually taking care of people and pissing people off. Yeah, no. And please keep emailing in your suggestions. I keep adding them to the list of things that we're trying to accomplish. Um, we've just been so focused on trying to get these timed sections and timed tests available that we have pushed off a lot of other things, but this is a, is a big deal. So we are going to prioritize that now. <laughs> I yeah. just didn't realize that. Of issue, course. So, of course. Okay, cool. Um, so then let's dig into this LSAT fundamental. Yeah. Okay. So the notes I wrote, the questions that I wrote, is basically, what's the deal with question types? How many types are there, or is that even important? Do I have to learn all of these types? Is that something that I really should spend my time doing? What's the point of that? And then I wanted to talk about, and maybe we could start with, the broad families. Uh, I don't know if you call them families or, or, or how, do you, how you talk about it. Where do you want to start with talking about logical reasoning question types? Okay, so when it comes to the question types, I think it is useful, and you've talked to me a lot about this off the show, and I think maybe we've talked about it on the show, but it is useful to think about all the question types. There, there could be 18, there could be 20, there could be 15, depending on how you categorize them, but um, I think they generally fall into two big categories. And if you understand what's fundamentally going on in those two categories, and you can say, oh, this question type or this question seems to fall into this one family or this other family then of question types, then you can actually glean a lot about how you should approach that question type without knowing the specifics of that question type. I think that we want you to eventually be very familiar with the specifics of each of the question types that are out there, but when it comes to moving your score forward and really making solid progress, the first step is what we talked about last time. Make sure you clearly understand the passage sentence by sentence. The second step is to maybe think about these or and then predict an answer based on that understanding. And then the third step is now that you're, okay, have a solid understanding of the passage, what family of question type does this fall into? And I, the two families are this. One, either you're trying to figure out 
something that must be true from the passage. In other words, in essence, they're asking you to assume that everything in the passage is true, and then you're trying to figure out what must follow from that. Or they're giving you a passage or an argument, and then they're saying which one of the following answers, if it were true, if it were assumed, if it, were, if it is valid, if the answer is true, what sort of impact is it going to have on the passage above? In other words, is it going to strengthen it or weaken it or whatnot? But the bottom line is that the first family, which uh, in which case you assume that the passage is true, I consider that like top down. It's like you're going from the passage and you're trying to figure out what's proven from it. Whereas in the other family, I consider that bottom up because you're assuming that all five answer choices are true and you're saying, if this is true, what sort of impact is it going to have on the passage above? In other words, you're working from the answer choices back up to the passage. Yeah, so the two families are top-down and bottom-up. In my mind, that's the language I use. What do you have to say about those families? I, I agree. I think, that that's, I think that's exactly right. I'm not sure that every question type can fit neatly into those two families, but sure. I yeah. think the mm-hmm. vast majority of them can. And you were talking earlier about like numbers that seem a little high to me when you're talking about 15 types or 18 types or 20 types. I'm not sure that there's even that many, right? Like we have this received wisdom that there are these certain types of questions. But I think if you understand the two broad families, I think many of them nest very neatly under these two <laughs> big umbrellas, right? I'm imagining almost mm-hmm. like Russian doll style. Yeah. They just, you know, because it, more and more when I look at a question, so like, let's talk about the, the top down family first, right? You said that the foundation sure. of the LSAT is figuring out what must be true. Mm-hmm. So there are questions that explicitly say, if the above information is, I don't know, can you say what, say, say an actual stem, like an actual must be true stem? Yeah, if the statements above are true, which one of the following must also be okay. true? Okay, and another way of saying that is that they'll say, if the statements above are true, or, or sorry, which one of the following can be inferred from the information above? Yep, that's the same, the exact same okay, thing. Okay, that's, we need to make that clear that those are saying the exact same thing. Uh, inferred means must be true, right? Not like the word inferred means <laughs> this is a must be true question, but yeah, when they say which of the following can be inferred from the information above, what they're asking is which one of the following must be true from the information mm-hmm. above, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's like the poster child, I feel like, for the top-down question type. Right, mm-hmm. That's the one that you can really just latch on to as, okay, I'm going to understand this broad family by saying what I need to do here is accept this as true and then find the one down here that also must be true. Mm-hmm. But I, I, more and more I'm realizing that when I teach, like there, I, I used to talk a lot more <laughs> that, than I do now about question types like, for example, method of reasoning or strategy of argumentation. Mm-hmm. You can call it either one of those. The LSAC kind of annoyingly calls it strategy of argumentation. And I, I yeah. used that when I wrote all my books and stuff. 
method is the same thing, right? Which one of the following sure. is a method of argumentation mm-hmm. employed by the argument above? But that's just a must be true question. I mean, it's there there aren't there aren't that many like there's not that much more you need to know besides hey look at the argument look what they did which one of these five did they do for sure like as a fact you can point to yep here's where they did that yeah and it's just so similar to a must be true question i don't know i i'm just finding that all of there's there's so many of these questions, like the whole concept of principle questions, you know, apply a principle. Yeah. Well, which one of these must be true according to that principle? Principle yeah. doesn't mean shit. There's no magic word for principle. Principle means like thing, you know, which mm-hmm. one of the following mm-hmm. things has to be true based on the shit that was above. And so yeah. it's just like a must be true question after must be true question after must be true question. Um, I don't know. It's sort of simpler than you can make it out to be if you get really into a lot of the semantics about question types too deeply, too quickly. Yeah. I, so I do distinguish between, say, a method of reasoning question, which I just call reasoning, and say a must-be-true question. There are subtle things that I'm aware of that I might think about differently given the fact that it's that type of question. But I agree with you 100% that it's much better, especially up front, to just think about the most important thought for each of these questions. And if uh, questions fall into one family or the other, then the most important thought, what must be true, or which one, if true would have the biggest impact on the passage above those core thoughts are 90 percent of your work i think that there are things that you might think about in a reasoning question that you wouldn't think about and it must be true question or vice versa but that getting sucked into that especially early on is going to do more harm than good and it's better just to think about at the end of the day okay, this falls into the top-down family, so what has to be true? That's going to affect your score way more than getting too caught up in the weeds. Yeah, and you want to, like, this is another one of those take-it-seriously type of things, right? On a a must-be-true question, I like to talk to my classes about, hey, the judge asked you a question, (laughs) counselor, you know, yeah. the, the judge is, is you're in court and the judge is sitting up there in the robes looking at you and says, mm-hmm. counsel, which one of these is in the record? <laughs> yeah. Or counsel, has this document, ha, has that been, was that filed? Has this yeah. been admitted to evidence, counsel? And you better be fucking serious when you answer that judge's question. You know, yeah. and... So on a, on a must-be-true question or on a, a method of reasoning question, the judge is saying, hey, which one of these did that argument do? And when you go down into the answer choices, you need to find the one that you can look back at that fact pattern or whatever the little blurb was that they gave you. You got to be able to look back at that blurb and say, yes, your honor, right here, your honor, this is where they did that, right here. And Mm -hmm. if you can't put your finger on it 
to show me why this must be true or to show me why they, yes, right here, they used that method of reasoning. Well, if you can't show me, if you can't explain it to me, then that is not the answer. There's no like mm-hmm. kinda, right? <laughs> they did mm-hmm. it or they didn't do it. Yeah. Cool. Where do we go from here? Do we talk about the other family? Yeah. So the other family includes questions like strengthen questions or weaken questions or sufficient assumption questions. Any question that basically says which one of the following, if true, if valid, if assumed, they're, they're telling you, hey, look, accept all five answer choices as true statements. Uh, sometimes people will argue with these answers and they'll say something like, yeah, but we don't know anything about this or we don't know anything about that or this is not necessarily true. doesn't matter. In this second family, in the bottom up family, they're telling you, assume all five answer choices are true and which one is going to have the biggest impact on the conclusion in the argument. This above. is where people who really don't understand the test or like they took a some shitty Kaplan class or something and they, they'll they be looking at a question and they'll go, oh, no, I didn't pick that because that's out of scope. Out of and scope, I'm like, oh, what does scope, out of yeah. scope mean? Oh, well, it wasn't, they didn't mention that in the passage. And I go, yeah, do you, can you read that question stem for me again? <laughs> After Kaplan annoyingly yeah. told you, you should read the question stem first, which you shouldn't, but you're now not even paying attention to the question stem for some reason. But look, the question stem says, which one of the following, if true, would mm-hmm. most support the argument above? That is a strengthened yeah. question. And on a strengthened question, you're not going to have an answer that's wrong because it's out of scope. What does that even mean? No, we yeah. wanted something that's going to change the argument. <laughs> Which one of these, yeah. if it were true, so the, whether it is true is completely irrelevant. Which one, mm-hmm. if it were true, would make a difference? And yeah. it's just it's now, like it, night and day, mm-hmm. the, the difference in those two question types. And... By the way, I wanted to point out that they can word those two question types, must be true and strengthen. They can word them with almost exactly the same words. Sure. Yeah. So you can't just like scan for keywords. Let me give the two question stems here to make sure that people understand how important it is that you you just, you have to read every single word on the page because if they say, which one of the following is most strongly supported by the information above, that's a mm-hmm. must be true question. Top down. Top down. And if they say which one of the following if true would most strongly support the argument above or would most strongly support the reasoning above, that's now a strengthened question. Notice the if yeah. true in the question stem, that's a big flag for hey, this is probably a bottom up question. But they you that's like all the words, right? They use, that's almost exactly the same words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they can do that with inferred too, right? Which one of the following can, can uh, most reasonably be inferred from the information above? That's a top down, must be true question. Which one of the following, uh, if true, makes the um, argument's conclusion reasonably inferred? Mm-hmm. That's now a sufficient assumption question, which is a super strengthened question, which is a bottom up question. Yeah. And what, what like novices will do is they'll just say, oh, it says strongly supported. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but 
Is it saying which one of these is strongly supported by the information on the page? Or is it saying which one of these, if it were true, would make the conclusion strongly supported? Yeah, what are you supporting? Are you supporting one of the answer choices with the passage? If so, that's a top-down question. Or are you supporting the passage, the argument, with one of the answer choices? That's a bottom-up question. Exactly. And it's just like, you really got to read every single word on the page because on a, I guess we should maybe talk about the strong answer versus weak answer thing here. Yeah. Right. If we're comparing a must be true question to a strengthen question, Mm -hmm. a must be true question, you have to have evidence on the page to support the answer you're going to pick. And that means that must be true questions tend to prefer more weakly worded answers Mm-hmm. because it's easier to prove something just softly, weakly worded, like with a sum or maybe a, a may in there, a could. Yeah. Strengthen questions, bottom-up questions, it's exactly opposite, where the stronger answer is going to have more of an impact on the argument. You get to assume that the answer choice is true when you pick it, so then it's which one of these, when it's true is going to move the argument, impact the argument the most, you know, help mm-hmm. the conclusion the most. And so that tends to be a strongly worded answer that's going to support the argument more strongly. Yeah. And, you know, that, that helps a lot. I mean, there's a problem here, and that is, of course, that people then start to try to simplify the test by focusing on the word strength of the answer choices as opposed to the actual content. You have to focus on the passage and understanding the passage and understanding what it's saying and what's wrong with it. And then when you read the answer choices, you need to focus on what they're actually saying. But once you've done that, in that context, in that environment, then bringing in the word strength of the answer choices can be very helpful and speed you along. Like when I'm going through a must-be-true question, I'm not solely focusing on the word strength, but as I read each answer choice, any words that are strong are going to get extra attention from me because they might be an easy way to knock an answer choice off. Like, yeah, 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 you talked about this, but you didn't say that this was true for most rabbits, You just said that this is true for many rabbits. So now I know that this answer choice is wrong because it went too far. Yeah. On the whole, um, the whole top down family, okay, must be true method. The first half of our analysis for flaw questions is a must be true analysis, right? Which one of these did Mm -hmm. they do? Mm -hmm. And it's a problem, but the did they do it is really important. We'll get into all of these later, right? On a different lesson. But on all of those mm-hmm. must-be-true family questions, if you think about what it takes for them to... How, how they write wrong answers, right? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. they either... They'll just write some shit that was just not even in the passage, right? So they just make something totally different. Yeah. So on those types of questions, I mean, that's where the out-of-scope thing actually might matter. It's just like, wait, they didn't talk about that. This is a must-be-true question. They didn't talk about that. That can't be the answer. Right. Yeah. But another way that they write wrong answers on that question type is they just turn the volume up a little bit higher than what the facts actually justify. The facts yeah. said, you know, most lawyers are assholes. And then the the wrong answer says all lawyers are assholes. Yeah. And it's like, nope, sorry, I don't have evidence for that. I have most, 
Most could include mm-hmm. all, but it doesn't have to include all. So all is not going to be the answer here for must be true. Yeah. And then that same thing applies, the volume thing applies when you start talking about bottom-up questions. On a bottom-up question, one of the answer choices is going to, you know, provide the best support we can find for the reasoning employed, you know, for the conclusion of the argument. One of these is going to help the argument the most. The four mm-hmm. wrong mm-hmm. answers are either going to be helping some other different conclusion mm-hmm. or they might just turn the volume down. Yeah. Like we're trying to prove that most lawyers are assholes. If that was the conclusion of an argument and now we're looking mm-hmm. to support that reasoning and they yeah. come with, well, some lawyers are assholes. Yeah. Well, that's not going to be enough to get you there. You know, that's some, some is very wishy-washy and it only means one or more. And so now mm-hmm. because that, the volume on that answer is just too low, I would be looking for something better. Right. Yeah. Um, as I go through all five of the answer choices, I, I don't want, I think, I think we do have a pitfall here of encouraging people to just only think about answer choice strength. <laughs> Because it, yeah. the content rules, right? You do have to understand what the reasoning said. What were the facts on the page? Yeah. You have to understand that yeah. first. But as a, as a shortcut, sometimes, like if I'm in class and I'm getting, let's say I'm, I'm doing small group work in the class, which I do frequently, and maybe I'll have two or three different groups at the same time who are, you know, trying to get my attention to help them out with a, an issue. Yeah. I'll look over your shoulder and if I see that it's a must be true question, and I don't have time to read the argument because I want to go help this other group over here. Mm-hmm. I very frequently will look at, I'll go, oh, that's a must be true question. Did you narrow it down to two? And I'll just look at the answer choices and I'll go, well, I don't know for sure because I didn't read the argument. <laughs> but that answer there says always. And that answer yeah. there says sometimes. Yeah. And then I'll just walk away. <laughs> and like both, and, and the, they're like, you know, if they've been studying for a while, they're like, oh shit, it's a must be true question. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sure enough, I mean, I'm not right 100% of the time when I do that, of course. And that's definitely not the way to answer that question in the first place. Mm-hmm. But when you narrow it down to two, especially, this strong answer versus weak answer thing can become very powerful. This is a very powerful tiebreaker. Yeah. So I was thinking that we do a quiz for a half second here. Okay. Because there are some words that sound strong but aren't. Oh, okay. And words that, you know, are strong but don't necessarily sound strong. So what I'm thinking is I say the word, our listeners try to anticipate whether it means some or most, and then um, you can correct them <laughs> or tell them that they're right. Okay. So, so the first word that I think, uh, this is like number one, that a lot of people get sucked into is the word many. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So does that mean some or most? Yeah, it, it sure sounds like it means a lot, right? Many. Yeah. Many can be used to indicate a lot. Many might mean most. But it doesn't have to because it's just inherently yeah. subjective. Yep. So many, you know, many times <laughs> that could definitely yeah. mean twice. Yeah. It's sort of like how many times have you gone to the gym, right? Like you could be like, oh, I've gone many times. 
Well, what's many to you could be much different than many to someone else. So we don't know that that's more than half of the days of your life or whatever. And so it just means some. But at the same time, it's one of those answer choices that sounds strong on the surface, but may not be as strong as you think it is. I love that. Another phrase... Wait, what? I said I love that. that this, is, this is great. I think this is a really useful quiz for people. Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So another word that I'm thinking of is tends to. So tends to... Hmm. So-and-so tends to do this. I'm not sure. Does that mean most of the time? So in my experience, the LSAT does seem to use this to mean most. We see it most frequently in parallel reasoning, but also in must-be-true questions in which they seem to equate the two. And so when they're saying tends to, or generally, or typically, or usually, they're ultimately saying this happens more often than not. Uh In other words, most of the time. Uh Yeah. That one's weird because it does sound, I had to think about it because it sounds wishy-washy. Yeah. But if it tends to, then yeah, that's got to be like sort of means normally or usually. Yeah. Yeah. Which means more than half the time. Yeah. And normally is actually one of those words uh, that also fits. And sometimes people take issue with these in class and I've been persnickety enough to look them up and they do match their, uh, their standard definitions. So the LSAT's not, not following its own <laughs> drumbeat here. It's, it's just going based off standard usage. Cool. Yeah. So here's another one. Uh, several. Oh, that just means the same thing as many. Yep. It's subjective. Um, how about numerous? Many means some. Yep. Likely. Likely, hmm. I, I would imagine that they could use that both ways. So in my experience, it's been used to mean most just because if something is likely, then its probability of happening is greater than half. Hmm. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's right. I, I'm a baseball, a little bit of a baseball nerd. And in yeah. baseball... You can, if you get a hit 30% of the time, you're like one of the best players ever. Yeah. And so it's, it's odd for me to say that like some really great hitter, I think the best player right now in baseball is uh, Mike Trout plays for the Los Angeles Anaheim Angels. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird to say that Mike Trout isn't, you know, the best, one of the best hitters in baseball is not likely to get a hit, Mm -hmm. but the facts are he, he actually isn't likely on any given one trial, <laughs> even though he's the best hitter yeah. in baseball. You can't really say yeah. that he's likely to get a hit. He's more likely than anyone else. You could yeah. say that, yeah, yeah, yeah. but now you're making yeah. a relative judgment. Mm-hmm. If you say Mike Trout is likely to get a hit in this at bat, um, I don't really think so. It's never going to be over 50% chance. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So likely uh, does mean most. More than yeah. half. Okay. Three more. Um, frequently. Frequently just means sometimes. Yep. How about often? Often just means sometimes. Yep. Same thing. Though all those words that we've said are sometimes uh, or some are just subjective, which means we don't know. Yep. And therefore, they don't have to mean more than half. The last one, probably. That means most. 
probably and likely you're making an a that's there there has to be at the root of it there has to be like a an objective standard yeah right of of more likely than not probably is yep. more than not probably so that's more than 50% yeah huh all right, so I have another quiz idea. I don't know if people will find this useful or not, but I have a I have a bunch of strengthen and inference questions. In other words, question types that fall into the top down and the bottom up category, yep. but that people tend to get confused. So I was thinking I could read these question stems. Yep. And just we we'll, we'll pause for half seconds. So yeah, you sorry, can, I won't <laughs> you step listeners. on the listeners. I'll I'll give them a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no worries. To give them a half second to try to answer it in their head. Because this is something that you ultimately want to become really good at, right? It should be something that you answer very quickly. And then, of course, we can tell you what we think. But the the first question says, the chairperson's reasoning most closely conforms to which one of the following principles? What would you say, Nathan? The chairperson's reasoning most closely conforms to which one of the following principles? Yeah. That sure feels like a top-down question to me. I think that's a must-be-true question. I would agree. You're basically taking what the chairperson said and then trying to figure out which answer closely conforms to to that that. reasoning, right? And so I can can see myself, again, I'm talking to the judge now. It's like, well, yes, Your Honor, this principle right here, see what they said, Your Honor, this principle here is, you know, I have justification for showing you this answer choice, justification that's coming from those facts. I'm not changing the facts. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to support those facts. I'm just showing you which one. So yeah, that feels like a must-be-true question to me. Yeah, and that's actually kind of a tricky one. I think closely conforms questions are the ones that really can can mess with people. But here's another more straightforward mm-hmm. one. If the statements above are true, which one of the following must be true? Clearly a must-be-true top-down question. Yep. Here's another one. Which one of the following, if true, most strengthens the argument? Clearly, bottom up. Which one, if it's true, is going to help the argument the most? That's a strengthening question. Yep. Next one. Which one of the following principles, if valid, most helps to justify the art historian's reasoning? (laughs) Principle does not mean jack shit on the LSAT. (laughs) So nobody needs to think about principle questions ever. I'm sorry that Khan Academy or whatever is talking about principal questions. They don't know what they're talking about. That question, read it again, Ben. Sure. Which one of the following principles, if valid, most helps to justify the art historian's reasoning? If valid means if true, principle just means thing. Which one of the following things, if it's true, is going to help the argument the most? That is a strengthened question. Yep. Uh, Bottom up. So next one, which one following is most strongly supported by the statements above if they are true. That's a top down. Which one of the following? Yeah, that's funny. They use the word if they're fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> but all it's saying is if the above is true, which yep. one of the following mm-hmm. then also has to be true. So that's a top down must be true question. It's all about what are you going to assume is true? Are you going to assume that the passage is true and then try to figure out which answer choice is justified by that passage? Or are you going to try to figure out are you going to assume that the answers are true and figure out which one does the most to help or hurt or resolve the passage above? All right, next one. Which one of the following is most reasonably supported by the information above? Yeah, by the information above. 
which one of the following is supported by the information above. I'm assuming that the information above is true, and I'm picking the one below that's a top-down. Yep. Okay, here's another one. This is closely conforms. So this is a little harder. Which one of the following conforms most closely to the principle illustrated above? Yeah, principle just means thing. <laughs> yep. Conforms most closely. That's The principle is what's going to be like you have to take that as the truth mm-hmm. and then find the one answer choice that matches that truth. That's a top-down question. Yeah. Oh, here's another one. This is good. Each of the following, if true, would strengthen the statistician's argument except. Each of the following, if true, would strengthen. Okay, so there's four that strengthen. Four of Mm -hmm. the wrong answer choices are going to be bottom up, strengthening the argument. The one correct answer is going to either be irrelevant or actually weaken the answer. So that's a strengthen except... It's still bottom-up. You just have to see how the four wrong answers would support the information above. So Mm -hmm. four of the answers Mm -hmm. are going to help that fact pattern or help the reasoning, help the argument, help the conclusion. And the one wrong answer is going to either not help or actually hurt. Yeah. All right, I got two more here. This one of these is actually pretty... Is okay. unique. We haven't done this yet. But anyways, uh, the first one, the information above most strongly supports which one of the following? Clearly just top down. Yep. Inference question or must be true. Last, or at least one more. Here we go. Which one of the following illustrates a principle most similar to that illustrated by the passage? <laughs> That's a very annoying top down question. They're they're just yeah. asking you to understand what happened in the in the passage, mm-hmm. and then find the best fit. And so it's it's just hey, based on what we have up here at the top, which one of these is the closest to that? And that's it's you could just that's totally top down. Yep. Oh hey, here we're good. We have another one. Which one of the following most logically completes the passage? And I should say that the blank line yes. <laughs> follows the word so. Okay, so so is a conclusion indicator. And so to fill in that blank, it's going to be top down. Yep. If it had said since, and then a blank, since is yeah. a premise indicator. And so there it's a strengthen question. Bottom up, yeah. And this is yeah. this this fill in the blank. That it, there is, it's not. I don't know that it's really. You shouldn't think about it as a question type. Fill mm-hmm. in the blank. Huh, I guess you could, but it's weird that they sometimes are must be trues and sometimes strengthen. Yeah, but I would say the vast vast majority are top down. Must be, must true. be true. Yeah, you just you got to look. But they have thrown in a few recently, right? Where it mm-hmm. says since. Or because. Yep. And before the blank. And then that means, yeah, there, that has to be a premise. So it, so then mm-hmm. it's, it's fucked up, though, because then it's like it can be super strong. Yeah. Even though they have said, again, read the question stem again. Which one of the following most logically completes the passage? Yeah, that's fucked up. This is the one time where you have to actually look in the argument to figure out what type of question it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, but wait, maybe you should read the question step first. 
I mean, we like our own jokes, don't we? <laughs> the truth is, if you're tuned in, you're going to know what it goes in that blank anyway, right? If you're taking it one That's piece exactly at a time right. and really yeah. paying attention to their argument, you know what what is needed there. It's like, were they about to make their conclusion, or were they about to give you a reason for their conclusion, which was stated previously? Yeah, the keywords though there definitely are going to help. Okay. <laughs> I got a couple more good okay. ones here. Okay, so this one is, which one of the following provides the best illustration of the principle above? Illustration of the principle above, of the thing above, it's a must-be-true, top-down. Mm-hmm, top-down. Okay, I like this one. If the principle, and by the way, the, the passage is uh, a principle talking. If the principle is speaking sincerely, <laughs> then it can be inferred from what the principle says that the principle believes that yada yada. It's a it's a must be true question, top down. It's almost okay. like a necessary yeah. assumption question, right? Like you take him yeah. for his at his word, then yeah. which one of these does he also have to believe? So based on the evidence, picking top down. Yeah, which is interesting because I would consider a necessary assumption question a top-down yes. question, right? Like <laughs> it's it, it's it's one where you have an argument. So a lot of times people think of it as like, oh, maybe I'm strengthening it. But at the end of the day, the correct answer in a necessary assumption question, yeah, it, on some level, it will strengthen the argument. But that's that's not your test. It's not like, oh, does this strengthen it nope. more than that one or anything like that? It's just like, does this have to be yep. true? Which is purely top-down. Yep. Okay, I'm just looking to see if there's any more like wonky ones. We'll get into all that, by the way, on a future episode of the show. We've done it before, but we need to get back into it with sufficient assumption versus necessary assumption questions. And to, to be clear, necessary assumption questions are in the top-down family. It's bizarre, though, because they can actually include things that are completely out of scope. <laughs> they, the, necess- the correct answer on a necessary assumption question can contain bizarre stuff that you never even thought about. But if you think about it, you'll realize, oh, if this is false, it's going to kill the argument. It has to be true. In other words, it has to be yep. true. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, and in that sense, it's not really a new idea. It is connected, right? It is relevant. So it's not out of scope in that sense. Here's another one. It's kind of wordy, but let's see if the listeners can figure out what type it is, top down or bottom up. Which one of the following principles, if accepted, would most strongly support the department's position against the Wildlife Commission's position? Um, it's a bottom up question. Which one of the following, if it were true? Yeah, if accepted. If accepted. Strange language, so, yeah. but same thing. Yeah, if we accept this, one of these five, then it's going to support mm-hmm. the person above. So bottom yeah. up. Yeah. I'm trying to see if there's any other um, any other sort of unique ones. Okay, here's one we haven't said, I think. But which one of the following can be properly inferred from the information above? Yep, top down. From the information above, top which down. one of the following can be properly inferred? Properly inferred just means must be true. So, uh, which yeah. one of the following from the above must be true? Oh, yeah. And here, this is very similar. Um, which one of the following conclusions is most strongly supported by the information above? 
Top down. Yep, top down, same thing. So notice that properly concluding something or properly inferring something just means you've found something that follows logically. In other words, something that must be true. All those phrases mean the exact same thing. Follows logically. But be careful because they can certainly put properly inferred in a bottom-up question. Certainly, yeah. So the question is, what is going to follow logically? The answer choices or the conclusion in the argument above? What is going to be properly inferred? The conclusion in the argument above or the answer choices? (laughs) You have to understand what that phrase means, but then you also have to figure out what are they applying that phrase to? Two words does not make a question type. You have to read the entire question stem. Yeah. All right, last one. Here's the one with uh, the word assumed. Which one of the following, if assumed, helps most to justify the conclusion drawn above? Um, So it's bottom up. Bottom up. Is that a strengthened question or a sufficient assumption? Did it say most helps to? Most Then it's a strengthened question. Although I would definitely be looking for a sufficient assumption if I could find one. Because And I might be yeah. predicting a sufficient assumption, because if I find a sufficient assumption, there is no better strengthener than that. Yeah. If they change the most helps to to would, then it would become a sufficient assumption question. Very frequently, the correct answer will just be the sufficient assumption, because yeah. it's the world's greatest strengthener. But if I don't find that, then it's just going to be which one helps the most. Hey, sorry, I know I keep dragging this out. I, hopefully, this is like beat into our listeners' heads <laughs> by now, but... I just found yet another way. I ha- I just I'm not even aware of these sometimes because I, I just read these and I'm trying yeah. to figure out whether it's top yeah. down, bottom up. Not necessarily what words are they going to use. But tell me if you've heard this phrasing before. Oh, I'm I'm sure we have. It's just it's just not in my head. Anyways, which one of the following principles, if established, would most help to justify Salvador? If established, just means if true. So which one of the following, if true, would most help Salvador? So that's bottom up. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I think we have beaten this into your heads by now, dear (laughs) listeners. (laughs) We're obviously, this is like exciting. This is, this is fun for me. (laughs) So, um, sorry for, I'm I'm sorry to go so long on that, but if you walk away from this discussion and now you clearly know what top down and bottom up is, boy, that is. That's going to save you. How many times do people get questions wrong because they're like, oh, well, I didn't think that that answer could be true. It's like, well, they just told you to assume that it is true. Like that just like, let's, let's move on from that and focus on what they're really yeah. asking. How many times? All the times. I yeah. mean, this just happens all the time. <laughs> it's so frequent that people think it's a strengthened question, but it's a must be true. Or they think it's a must be true, mm-hmm. and it turns out to be a strength then. And either way, you're just totally screwed. You have to, you have yeah. to know what they're asking you to do. Okay. Yeah. Should we uh, wrap up the fundamental there? And we'll, we'll come back and yep. do more do um, soon. But let's get into the rest of this agenda. Yeah. I have an email here that says, Michael, at the University of Alabama's Hugh F. Culverhouse Jr. <laughs> School of Law, I always laughed at like my alma mater. They always have to fucking say University of California Hastings College of the Law. 
Oh my it's, gosh. Do they capitalize the the too? I don't it's know. So uh, I don't know. But <laughs> so this is the University of Alabama's <laughs> Hugh F. Culverhouse Jr. They could have just oh called it Culverhouse School of Law. I don't. God damn. Anyway. Or Culverhouse Law School. That's what I would say. Hey, Ben here at Culverhouse Law School. How's it hang? How's totally. it going? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so they right. say exciting things are happening. Nice big two spaces there between the sentences. Yeah. We'd like to show some of it to you. Uh, the first step is for you to apply. Oh. <laughs> Wait, hold up. <laughs> if you want to show me shit that's happening, show me what's happening. Don't tell me you're going to. No, no, just you, do it. You got to apply. <laughs> no, the first step is <laughs> for me to submit. apply to your school. Why would I apply to your school if I don't know what the fuck oh, is going on? Gosh. Anyway. So what about these for good things for your application? What? This is a new paragraph. Oh, I'm going to reread this first sentence here. It says, so what about these for good things for your application? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> what oh, the man. fuck is that? Anyway, it goes on. When you apply to the University of Alabama's Culver House Law, we will waive your application fee and your $45 credential assembly service report fee. To receive your CAS report fee waiver, please submit this coupon code when you reach the shopping cart in LSAC's system. And then there's a big, long... <laughs> Holy Overly smokes. long coupon code. Your application fee yeah. waiver is already entered into your LSAC account. <laughs> and then there's a list of things that I don't think we even need to read because the point is, I think this is a an extremely valuable PSA. Like in actual dollars. If if you are sure. if you have any interest in applying to Alabama's whoever Culverhouse Law. You need to email them and ask them for a application fee waiver and a waiver of the credential assembly service fee. They have done this. They have done this when, mm -hmm. for another applicant. <laughs> they should also do it for you if they really want you. Well, also, just what about those schools out there that you're on the fence for? Right? Maybe you don't want to tip off a school that you care about, but for one that you're on the fence for remotely considering applying to, but maybe you won't because of the cost. Just say, hey, look, Culver House Law School. You don't even need to name them Culver necessarily, House. you know, because Culver House Just say other might schools, not be a competitor yeah. school, right, for UCLA. But yeah, I, I didn't mean that you should only ask Alabama for this. I meant you should ask basically everybody for this. The schools know that the $45 fee adds up if you're applying to a lot of schools. And it's clearly waivable. Like there's a system in place. Yeah, this for is this. the thing that like blew me away here is that there's actually a fucking coupon code. <laughs> so it's already so that means, the, the system yeah. is set up for this. So all law schools are potentially doing this now, which makes sense because they've been jacking up that fucking fee. You know, when they went from thirty five to forty five, that's a big deal if you're applying to twenty schools. It's just oh, here's mm -hmm. another two hundred bucks we'd like to get from you. <laughs> Fuck that. It's an electronic report. Yeah. There's no reason for that fee to be there. You already paid for the credential assembly service in the first place. And now you also yeah, have to pay a report fee. That's fucking such a scam. Anyway, 
I'm glad they have this system set up. This is the next step in the, you know, we've, for a long time, we've been talking about asking schools for application fee waivers. They give those out like candy now. And now they're also going to be waiving the LSAC report fee. Yeah, but you need to ask them for that. I'm sure that when they created this coupon code system, they gave every school a coupon code. So I bet, I bet this is just Alabama's unique code. And... If some school scratches their head and says, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to do that, that's... It might be yeah. a code that they generated for that applicant, potentially. There might be a, a thing on the back end of the LSAC website where they have to they have to go into their account. Because it looks like they had to go into the student's account. Hmm, that's for the application fee waiver. They entered that. It is a long code, too, yeah. It does suggest that there is a unique one for many people. But at the very least, you can ask for it. Yep, you should ask the schools you're thinking about applying to. You should be applying to 10 or 15 or 20 schools. Um, I don't think it's ridiculous when people apply to 30 schools. The other day I heard someone saying that they were applying to 70 schools, or I think that might have been on the Facebook group or something, and that was that seems outrageous. Wow. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, if you're applying to a reasonable number of schools, you know, 10 or 15 or 20, yeah, we're talking about somewhere between 200 or sorry, whoa, 10 schools would be 450 <laughs> 20 schools would be $900. And potentially that whole thing could get waived if you just ask the schools to waive that report fee. It's fucking yeah. nuts. All right, want to move on to this next thing? Yeah, let's whoa. do it. Falling asleep? Yeah, I am. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Okay, Nathan. Yes. I wanted oh. to share. I'm just going to, oh, I'm reading your email here. <laughs> So this was written to you, obviously. Nathan, I wanted to share that I just got my first PT score above a 170, practice test score, a 172 to be exact. Your LR encyclopedia has been so helpful. I started with a diagnostic of 142. Between that, the LG playbook and the demon and your explanations and techniques have brought me further than I ever imagined I could go. A 30 point increase. Thank you. I don't. Here's a screenshot of the progress chart I made with each practice each official practice time score, a uh, practice test time score. The big dip on November 29th was due to a three and a half month period of not studying due to traveling and moving back to Maine. All right, but looks like he quickly recovered or she, let's see. Oh, Kara. Knowing what to look for in each correct answer and to read each argument with the mindset of getting indignant are, the, are two crucial aspects I've learned from you that have helped me the most. Hopefully, my real exam comes out to be as successful as my last practice test. Oh, her selfie is being used for this episode. That was Kara. Yeah, thanks a lot, Kara. That's amazing. 30-point increase is, um, well, I mean, it's a it, notice there. We've got a solid, uh, boy, that's months and months. Is that May of last year through January of this year? So, yeah, that's a solid uh, seven or eight months of study. It looks like there was some time off in there, but still, that's, uh, that's incredible. She put in the effort, and yeah, I do like that getting indignant thing. When I read those logical reasoning questions, I mean, I'm just like, okay, what type of bullshit is this going to be? Yeah. And take it real seriously, be real critical. Okay, awesome. Thanks for the update. Kara, that's amazing. I, I, I also hope yeah. that your um, official test matches your most recent PT, but 
it is worth noting here that the most recent PT is a little bit of an outlier, right? There's going to be bumps in the road. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be real good ones along the way. And you just can't, you can't take that to be everything. You need to be thinking about the average of your last like five or 10 tests. Mm-hmm. And so you certainly, this is clearly indicating forward progress, but there's going to continue to be bumps along the way. And if you, if you don't, you know, if you happen to regress a little bit on that next PT and only score 167 or something, then you probably need to retake the official LSAT and try to get something into the 170s because you know you're capable of it. Cool. Yeah. Time for pearls versus turds? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this was sent to a listener from the University of Buffalo. Here's the proposed tip. It says, you only need to answer 65% of the questions to get a good score. Try to answer the first 15 questions as those will be some of the easiest and hopefully quickest. If you're spending a lot of time on one question, come back to it later. Uh. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Well, I feel like there, there is some wisdom here. The idea, I, I mean, I don't know where this person's getting 65%, some like random percentage of questions to get quote, a good score. I mean, score. let's think like, about that. Good is relative. That, well, yeah. hold on. I'm just pulling up any random LSAT. So 65% is about a raw score of around 65 questions. It'd be higher than that, though, assuming that you're going to guess. I want to add seven to that because there's 35 that you would just randomly bubble in. You get one out of five of those right. You get seven more free points there. So it's it's 65 plus seven is 72, which is an LSAT. On the test I'm looking at, a 72 correct would be a 157. So, I mean, we could look at the 509 report for University of Buffalo Law, which I've never heard of. I'm betting that 157 is a good LSAT score for the University of Buffalo. Yeah. But 157 is not objectively a good score. It's, it is a stepping stone for most students, actually, right? The average student probably starts around 150, maybe even higher one, mm-hmm. high 140 sometimes. So 157 is somewhere that you need to go, and I like this idea of doing fewer questions but getting them right. Yeah. I don't like this idea of going back. You don't like that idea. I don't don't like that idea either. I mean, it's like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth here because they say Mm -hmm. you only need to answer 65% of the questions, answer the first 15 questions, that's great. But then they're also saying go quickly through them, and if you're spending a lot of time on them, then you should come back to it later. (laughs) Which, (laughs) Yeah, like if you're really stuck on a question, let's say you're stuck on question 12, and then you get to question 15. Well, instead of going back to 12, you should probably just go to 16. Like what... I realize that the questions get harder as you go along, but if question 12 really messed with your mind and you ultimately decided to move on and guess, you should guess, by the way, at least maybe you got it down to two, pick one of them. I don't see how you're now going to like unlock that question. I think your odds are better with question 16. Yeah, going back is, oh, is just definitely wasted effort. Like what, you're going to do half of the work now get frustrated, leave it, go do other stuff, and then come back and finish the job. But then you're going to have to pick it up again. You're going to have to reread it. 
so that you can, you know, you're not going to have memorized the damn thing. If you are, it's going to hurt your performance on questions 13, 14, and 15. So yeah. you need to let it go. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't at all like the idea of... I, I don't even like that they have people thinking about how much time they're spending on that question. You know, like, sure. if you're going to preach this, then preach it all the way and just say, hey, listen, if you're at 150 and you want to get to 157, the easiest way to do that is to just get the first 15 right. Yeah. So just do all do the first 15 and make sure you're getting them right and just dig in and do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. What do you, what do you say? This is a, a pearl, a turd or a tie. I would say it's definitely not a pearl. I would say it's a, it's a tie. Or I'll a give them credit for a tie. If you're willing to give them credit for a tie, there's sure. something there, but it's also got something bad. So we'll just say there's a nah, tie. So the scoreboard now is one pearl, nine turds, three ties. All right. Yep. How about this report from our violinists? Yeah, so we read uh, the violinists' personal statement on the show, right? I, I seem to remember that. With the audition for the symphony and all that? Yes. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. we did. Yes. In Chicago, right? So here are her stats. She got a 168 on the LSAT. She has a GPA of 3.78. Uh, she's applying currently. She wrote us, and I don't know what she said because we don't have that here, but we have your response, which is, wow, full tuition at BU. That's in Boston. You're one point above their 75th percentile LSAT and slightly above their median GPA. According to their 509s, they gave zero, zero full tuition scholarships last year, and two more than full tuition scholarships out of 720 students. Wow, that's almost nobody. And yet this applicant got a full ride. So that's exciting. Yeah, the fact that she's only, you know, she's she's not above their 75th percentile. She's only slightly above their median GPA and then just one point yeah. above the 75th percentile LSAT. And so that means one of two things, and they could both be true at the same time. One could mm -hmm. be BU is like trying to be more competitive, so they're giving more scholarships this year. We won't know yep. until their next 509 comes out. That That's totally possible. But the other thing is that's possible here is that she fucking blew them away with her application. And I got to mm -hmm. say, her personal statement was killer. It was killer. I mean, it just made her look like such a badass <laughs> pro, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I <laughs> I know we're pimping our own services, but um it's true that uh I don't know. I think I I don't want to take any credit away from her because she's the one that got that 168 and she's the one that had the 3.78 undergraduate GPA and she's the one that did all the amazing shit that her personal statement highlighted. But yeah. her personal statement yeah. didn't highlight it in the way that it, it ended up highlighting it <laughs> before we got our hands on it. Yeah, it's like the case was made as well as you could make it, I think. I don't see how it could have been made better. And that's the position you want to be in. I totally see that as being a difference between someone who gets accepted. She would get accepted here. I don't see how that wouldn't have happened unless she you know, started going negative in her personal statement or something like that. But given how few scholarships they give out, 
they're being very careful with that money, apparently. Um, and she's not above their 75th percentile for GPA. So I think that they saw that and they were like, this is someone we want on our team. The soft factors affect these admissions people, I think, emotionally in a way that makes sense. And it's not just emotional, though, too, right? They're looking at it and saying, she's a winner. She comes here. She's going to go somewhere else. She's going to be successful. And that's going to bring name recognition and prestige to the university. This is a bet we yep, want to make. Absolutely. And they are betting big on her. I mean, they're really super into her. <laughs> they have declared true love. And uh, now yep. she just has to decide whether she uh, is going to return that love or <laughs> go somewhere else <laughs> for more money or better school or whatever, because she has that choice now. Yeah. yeah, Beautiful. Did we say we were going to do an LSAT India question? I think we're running pretty long here. I, I think we should probably wrap it up. Yeah. I wanted to get back, though, to this one post on the, the Facebook group. This will be a nice way to um, sure. to wrap it up, I think. Tyler on the Facebook group, Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook, says, first-time poster to this podcast group. I'm really interested in going to Vegas for the weekend class. If you are going, where are you staying? On the strip? Off the strip? I'm taking the LSAT in March, and I think it would be a great little uh, last little push for review. Hope to see everyone there! Exclamation point. Thank you, Tyler, for pimping our class. That's coming up in Las Vegas. Uh, what, were, what are the dates again? Uh, that's going to be Mar Saturday, March 16th, and Sunday, March 17th, Okay. Five. Uh, Annalisa uh, chimed in and said that she recommends staying off the Strip since it'll be less expensive. And then she says, but UNLV is super close to the Strip, so it's up to you. We'll probably do drinking LSAT somewhere on the Strip or Container Park. I don't even know where the hell that is, but Annalisa is going to be... Uh, driving the show for thinking else at on Friday night or drinking else at on Friday night. Yeah. James Tuller chimes in. Uh, James again is the amazing artist who created our praise the demon logo. Um, and James is coming. <laughs> James, oh, good. James okay. says I'm staying a few blocks from UNLV at some rinky dink casino. Uh, and then he advises to book now if you're, uh, because he says everyone's grand goes to Vegas Saturday, Sunday, and the hotels can fill up and get more expensive the longer you wait. So I haven't booked my accommodations yet, but I think I might work on that today. And maybe I'll figure out where James is staying and try to say, stay at the same rinky-dink casino <laughs> as James. Because after making that Praise the Demon logo, James is a guy that I definitely need to be buying some drinks for. Cool. Yeah, you know, I got my Airbnb already, and it's um, it wasn't that much. So I think it's just a matter of uh, kind of jumping on it now and getting yeah, you know, getting your yep. reservations. Book it now. Yep. Book your flight. Flights are cheap a lot on Southwest Airlines. That's kind of why we chose Vegas, because it's an easy place to get to, and they are built for accommodations. It's going to be a really great time in class and out of class. And so please uh, go ahead and sign up now. Um, you need to, if you're hearing this on the day the podcast is released or the day after, you need to sign up right now if you want to get an extra hundred bucks off. But even if you missed that discount, um, we do hope that you'll join us in Las Vegas. It's going to be a blast. This is our fourth class. What do you think about doing a live podcast, Ben, in the class, like the first time we did in New York? Oh, that was a lot of fun. I had a listener who wasn't at that class 
tell me that that was their absolute favorite episode of the podcast all time, even though you had microphone really? issues during that podcast. <laughs> They're like, well, I couldn't hear no, Ben, which made he it said great. That, no, he said that he was jacking up the volume during your part and then having to turn it back down when I started talking. <laughs> but he said he liked the, uh, the live uh, aspect of it and the people in the classroom um, asking questions and stuff. So we might have to have to try oh, that cool. again. Okay, yep. beautiful. Um, anything else we need to talk about today? Okay, cool. Check us out on Instagram at Thinking LSAT. We're at yep. Thinking LSAT on Twitter. I'm at InFox on Twitter. Ben is at Olson Benjamin on Twitter. Uh, my website is foxlsat.com. Ben is strategyprep.com. We have all sorts of live classes, services, uh, online stuff, tutoring. Uh, boy, too much to even <laughs> talk about these days. And that was show number 180. Thanks, all y'all, for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>